Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, this past summer, many of us may recall some of the hoopla over the possible discovery of the Higgs particle, also known as the God particle. Many of us may have been struck by this great achievement of modern science and technology, how scientists have been able to build a machine called the Large Hadron Collider that penetrates the core of physical reality and perhaps finds the secrets to the universe, even though we may not actually know what these scientists actually found. At the same time, however, many of us may not realize that many of these leading scientists who design and operate these machines are not really looking for God. They're looking for a way to explain the world without God, thinking that the further science advances, the less there is a need for a supernatural power. For example, physics professor Lawrence Krauss, the author of the recent book A Universe from Nothing, wrote a column entitled The Godless Particle for Newsweek magazine in July of this past year, shortly after the possible discovery of the Higgs particle. In that article, he concludes, Creating stuff from no stuff seems to be no problem at all. Everything we see could have emerged as a purposeless quantum burp in space, or perhaps a quantum burp of space itself. Humans, with their remarkable tools and remarkable brains, may have just taken a giant step to replacing speculation with empirically verifiable knowledge. The Higgs particle is now more relevant than God. And then when we go to look at the leading books of the scientists who are, who are out there right now, we may find that most of them are, in fact, atheists. Uh, among them being Steven Weinberg, Dreams of a Final Theory. Famously, there's Stephen Hawking, who was interviewed by The Guardian magazine about a year ago who so, or so, who came to the conclusion in the interview that there is no heaven, it's all a fairy story. Even Lisa Randall, the best-selling author of Knocking at Heaven's Door and the War Passages, essentially an atheist. And then, we, we, then when we move to the neo-Darwinians, such as Richard Dawkins with his book The God Delusion, and then there's Christopher Hitchens with God is Not Great, and the numbers go on and on. And this is a fact that we may not appreciate, that as scientists continue to explore the material world, and as we tend to appreciate and respect and stand in awe over these accomplishments, what many of them are doing is really ruling God out of the equation. Is this the only way that we can be looking at this story? Well, today's guest, David Kahn, has written a book about this situation, and the name of the book is The Specific Density of Scientists and Their Secret Fears. For that reason, I've called this show The Cult of Scientism. And the reason why we're doing this is because is there a different way to appreciate, to approach this problem? Now, Mr. Khan is a recognized expert on cult mentalities. He co-authored the book The Cult That Died about the famous Jim Jones cult and the massacre that occurred, oh boy, three or, three or so decades ago. And he has approached this topic in a somewhat different way that we're going to explore today. Specifically, is there a way that somebody could be faithful, religious, and still be a scientist? Welcome to the show, Mr. Khan. Thank you. Very, very happy to be aboard. It's uh, uh, a, pl a pleasure to be uh, dealing with this particular subject. Uh, most of the time on radio shows, I deal with the just strictly cults and don't get into science much. And of course, that's the major problem. As I as I did my uh, research on what allowed Jim Jones to go 11 years, as I pursued that, I realized 
that uh, the whole system out here on the West Coast, and indeed in, in America at the time, but started on the West Coast, this radical uh, openness to uh, godless things, that it was it primarily is is the cause of what allowed people to to not evaluate with a proper frame of reference this whole Jones thing that they just simply had no basis uh, in in a belief in God. Therefore, they had no frame of reference to really evaluate why this man was so crazy and so loony. And from then on, uh, it got more and more involved. And then I saw the depth of the, of the influence of science and uh, driving uh, a real belief in God just out of our whole system. And now we're now we're at a point where we're really in a in a post-belief system uh, 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 in time. Well, well, I, I, so, like, uh, I like to say I uh, like I like to uh, describe it sometimes where we essentially have two worlds, uh, which is the world of science and the world of religion. And if you read a lot of the science books, uh, they, their, their thinking is that at some point science is going to take over the ground covered by religion. And, and that, to me, sounds like scientism. And maybe we could start this by, by you sort of talking about what scientism is. Scientism is a, uh, a, a false view of true science. True science recognizes an established paradigm, and that paradigm is the, the natural universe. And science is then the pursuit and the discovery of everything that goes on in the natural universe. Scientists get off target when they when they defy the paradigm and they they begin to think because of what i call their majestic brains they begin to think that they have authority in other areas now that just simply is not true uh because uh, you know even historical faith says that uh that uh, g God is no respecter of persons. That means that God doesn't respect people uh, just because of their specialty, like, for example, in science, that, th that God realizes that doesn't give them uh, a special uh, access to his kingdom. They have no more access to the kingdom of God than any other people in that area. They do have special access in history and in science and all that, and that's all okay. But they do not have a special access to these things. But they somehow get off target, and they don't stick with their paradigm. They, because the paradigm says we scientists and science itself cannot say anything about the supernatural because science deals with the natural. And in that moment that scientists get taken with pride or ego, they then, for various reasons, notoriety uh, and all, they then begin to make pronouncements in an area where they have absolutely no authority, really. It's only a supposed authority. It's a, it's a fallacy of misplaced authority. Uh, it's, a, it's a logical fallacy. Uh, uh, in, in logic, it is a basic fallacy, misplaced authority. And so uh, I realized uh, that one major, uh, one major insight that scientists evaded, and, and I think out of pure fear, is, uh, is, is the truth of Lord Bertrand Russell's truism. He was one of the greatest mathematicians in the, in the 20th century, and he proved mathematically, and therefore it's inarguable, he proved mathematically that either all religions are false or only one is right. Put in, a, put in another way, it could be said, either all uh, positions uh, of stating what the, uh, what the absolute uh, source of truth and 
ultimate power is that that is the essence of a religion that any 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 position of that may be right but if it is right all the others are wrong and and of course lord russell he then chose the route that they're all wrong but that was simply his choice and I believe that his choice involved ego also and in, in not wanting to give authority over to God and to look to any historical guidelines and all that. So that makes sense to me. He was caught up in his majestic brain. But that major thing has been avoided by philosophers and scientists and logicians all throughout history. And it is a fact. And it's, it's terrifying to scientists because that means that if, given that truth, and they know it's true, that leaves them with the responsibility, <clears throat> if they happen to decide that God does exist, then they have to pursue what religion God chose to reveal himself through. And it, it just, from there, <clears throat> it gets very bizarre. But back to the, back to the thing that, uh, that allowed... Uh, uh, the whole society to get off target. It's because they yielded to the authority of scientists who were, who were, who were giving advice and uh, philosophy in an area where they have no authority. But yet, when people uh, realize that the scientists supposedly are the brightest uh, 7% <clears throat> of humanity, therefore they should be paid attention. This leads me to another major element that, that reveals this problem, and that is uh, an, uh, a concept that I deal with in my uh, uh, second book, Lednorf's Dilemma. In fact, I give the title of the book that. Lednorf's Dilemma is in, is in act, actually is a question that is put to scientists that puts them on the spot. And that, side, that question is, given the premise of an almighty and perfectly fair God, an almighty and ultimately perfect God, would that God give you, with your majestic brain, would that God give you, scientists, an advantage to his kingdom? The moment, and I've asked several scientists this, the moment that question is put to them, they know they are trapped by logic because they know that it's a logical non-contradiction to think that almighty and perfectly fairness would give them an unfair advantage. It's just that simple. But, but in order to even recognize that, my major concern with scientists is their refusal to bifurcate. And that's, the, that's the, the third of the concepts that I deal with, bifurcation, which essentially, it, it's used mostly in legal sense, where they have separate two concerns in a trial. But bifurcation, in this sense, means that the scientist should realize that he is capable of separating his scientific self from his total self. And that leaves him free to pursue his science in a perfectly uh, free, uh, a, a free way to pursue truth in science and facts and discovery without interference of thinking about it, uh, of, of God being uh, present. When he separates himself, then he can stay pure and not let God interfere, but at the same time, that his total self can then open to God in areas of spirituality. Okay, okay, and that, okay, 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 that's great. Okay, let's, let's, um, there, there's a lot there, and I want to go back to that, to what you're saying. First of all, this is Philip Merton. Uh, this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking to David mm -hmm. Kahn, the author of the new book, The Specific Density of Scientists and Their Secret Fears. I like to, and you know, we started off with the concept, with the concept of scientism. And this, this, the listener has to understand, is, is extremely important because essentially what it says is that if a phenomena is not 
malleable or is not uh, detectable by the instruments of science, it's not real. That only, that only the scientific method using materialistic <coughs> procedures can can detect reality. There's a there's a there's a there's a passage in Steven Weinberg's book uh, Dreams of a Final Theory that I use a lot, where he where he says, well, how can anybody believe in mind over matter, or the paranormal, because no instrument of science can detect anything going between different people's brains, and and so the question is 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 that the only way to find truth? And does science have a monopoly on the methods of finding truth? Now, and I want and I want to add something here that I think is relevant from my own uh, studies on this, uh, David. And that is that what we're dealing with is we're dealing with a scientific paradigm that is assuming that there is an independent material world that there's a that there's a world out there independent of the mind or independent of any spiritual being and the scientists have made this assumption because they think it's necessary to practice science and and so i think what we're seeing here it's all to me this is all the same because because the question at the end of the day is is that assumption valid and and that is what more and more thinkers today are questioning and it's it so happens and this is what is so so uh, interesting about this that Einstein, who probably is the most revered science next to Newton in the history of modern th of, of thought, that Einstein believed in a mind-independent world, even though I might add quantum theory shows that to be wrong, and everybody knows it's wrong. But because of the stature of Einstein within the the realm of science, we don't have a lot of people out there questioning. That, that that underlying assumption. So I, I, I wanted to make this point because we're really, I think, David, you're approaching it from 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 a different direction that, that I would approach it or some other people would approach it. But in many ways you're saying the same thing, which is that which is that science suggests that they are covering the field, but they're not using all the tools available. <laughs> And, and I and that, I think and, and I think it's very it's very important to understand that. Yes, the thing that does scientists in and reveals their viewpoint as being false is the area of information. Information is real, but it is not tangible. The things that carry information, all that, are tangible, but information itself comes from a mind. Information has to come from a mind. Communication of information can only come from a mind, an intent. And the scientists uh, have a pro in fact, the, uh, In fact, Richard Dawkins himself, the moment he was faced with that question, where did the information and the codes in the, in the first cell where did they come from? What was, how did that originate? And, and, and Dawkins went, in fact, uh, one, one book I read made it pretty clear that Dawkins has gone, and still, uh, he's gone several years without being able to answer that question. And that's an area that goes beyond science, because science can only can only deal with the physical universe. And information itself, they've, they've discovered this for sure, it is purely intangible. It is not material, but yet it's there. And, and, and let For me, example, right, right. Go okay. ahead. Okay, I was going to say, let me let me just uh, because I remember that part of your book, and I think it's a very good point. But just to sort of put some some more uh, gloss on on what you're saying, I what what I think you're talking about being a very good example here is the DNA molecule, right? Because the DNA yeah. molecule. You know, many of us think, well, that's that's a molecule. And if you read a little bit more, you say, well, the DNA molecule is the blueprint to life, is the dictionary to the body, is is the is the uh, is the code for 
for reality and all this kind of stuff. And the fact is, is that the DNA molecule has in itself a language. It is a coded language that tells an organism what proteins to build. And I think what you're saying is, is that to imagine that this DNA molecule with this code system, which is, which is really a language, that this molecule just sprang out of a, of a swamp somewhere without a intelligence, without a mind, is, is, is to me completely naive. And I'm putting that nicely. So I just want to I just want to make sure you didn't forget to mention the DNA molecule because to me yes. that's a really good yes. exa- that's a it, really good it, example. It, it, it has four words that it yeah. uses, and that is the language, and uh, and and, w- and when those are implemented, <clears throat> it's it's just simply proven that that complexity, especially, and, and we're talking beyond design now because design is not necessarily uh, uh, so, uh, something that is just conf- that comes from a mind, but uh, but what does come from a mind is a language and codes, and that and that is what facilitates true information, and that is impossible. Uh, to even it's beyond anyone's conception that that could come from anything other than a mind and so that's what leaves scientists like Richard Dawkins and others with a major problem because they can go so far but they cannot answer the question of where that coded information came from in the first cell right 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 and I think that's and, and that's that is a that is a to me, the winning, the, well, let me put it this way, it's the fatal blow. It is among many other fatal blows because it, it goes back to a statement that Darwin made, uh, I think, in a letter to a friend. I don't think it was published in Origin of the Species, but, but he really, but Darwin really raised doubts whether life could have actually crawled out of a swamp. And when you when you read books on evolution, I would suggest go go to the section of the book uh, of any of these books on evolution by any of these guys, Dawkins or Ernest Meyer, or 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 uh, Jay Gold, and and look at the section where they talk about the origin of life. When you go to those sections, they don't really have a lot to say. All they all they really say the, is that it only happened once. It could only it. All we need for it to, to do is happen once. Why? And Ernest Meyer says this. He says, it only happened once because it was such an incredibly unlikely event that that to imagine it occurred more than once is just even beyond his speculation. My, and the point here is that this is that crucial jump that I think you put in your book as well, David, which is between sort of this barren stuff and something with intelligence, such as the DNA molecule, there's that there's that leap that the, that scientists make. They make it in by by uh, by hypothesis or by speculation, but they never fill in the gap. They never fill in the gap with it with with actually an experiment or or even a theory to to explain how something like the DNA molecule or a language rose from the dead. Uh, I know in your book you gave a really uh, good some some good examples of of noise and computer programs and you and in your experience with uh software where adding noise and randomness never never leads to order uh, i thought that was very i thought that was good why don't you why don't you talk a little bit about that that issue yes uh uh but you are right scientists never never do deal with that and it's simply because they cannot. They're unable to deal with it because they have no, no basis for explaining it. And that, and that again, reveals uh, their, their main problem. Uh, and by the way, uh, one of the main characteristics of a cult mentality is, uh, is the inability to see the obvious. And, and there are various reasons that restrain people from that, ego and pride and all that. But, but it's so, it's, it's so pervades the, 
the area of science, except for those scientists that uh, do do see uh, the, uh, the 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 truth of of that that there is a supernatural, that there is a god beyond science. But all the other atheistic scientists, they simply uh, can, cannot see it, and 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 I believe. I've I've centered on one of the main reasons, and that is uh, the the inability to think deeply and courageously and honestly. I believe that in all those areas you'll find you find scientists that do not think deeply, with real courage and honesty. That is, they escape. The, the the revealing signs of their flaws and and if they look deeply to it they would eventually see that it is pride and pride is the is the major flaw because they and I'm talking about these atheistic scientists they they fear yielding to some other authority other than themselves that is they want to be the king of the mountain it's just that simple yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah, and I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. Now, there's, there, there are certain things that I'm, that I'm, that I would part company with, with, with your thinking. But, but going down this road, I completely agree. And it, it, it's sort of like uh, the scientists want to try to figure the world out themselves, partly because of ego, partly or, or mostly because of ego. They want to figure it out themselves without the crutch of a supernatural being. Now, I don't see anything wrong with that, with that, with that attempt. But, but, but where I have a problem is, is people like Lawrence Krauss and Steven Weinberg who, who make these grandiose assumptions, like a universe from nothing, which is Lawrence Krauss's new book, yeah. where he makes, I mean, we don't have time to get into, into the depth of that assumption. But but sitting in his desk saying, okay, well now I found a way for the universe to come from nothing. I'm happy. There's no God. That's that's about the extent of his reasoning. It's it, it's as if it's as if it's as if he satisfied himself that because through some kind of amazing extrapolation of quantum theory and quantum fluctuations, etc., that he could imagine how a universe popped from the void. That that's fine and good. But but even even if so, he failed to he fails to address the further point that you just made that we discussed, which is, where did the information come from? Where, where that's the key question, and that's the one that just devastates the scientists. By the way, I do agree with you. There's nothing wrong with, that, uh, with the drive for discovery. But that's a human desire and curiosity and all that. Scientists simply have a more vivid drive toward that, and, that, and they're perfectly uh, justified in pursuing all sorts of knowledge. Uh, and so uh, I have no problem with that. But it's the inability to go the extra step that you just mentioned, to consider those tough questions that, that, that for reasons of fear, I think, that they don't want to tackle, and they can't find an answer. It's... Uh, well, well, I, well, it, I, well, I want to... I want to make sure I ask you this question because because Jim Jones and and his cult and was that was that nineteen eighty uh, eighty one I forget exactly when that was that was the early eighties. The well, it started in nineteen sixty seven. Okay, nineteen sixty seven. Uh, out here, uh, but, but and he, of course he was into cultic things even back east where right. he came from. Right. But no, uh, my investigation started in nineteen sixty nine. And went for nine years. Okay, well, okay, okay, okay. This is what I want to ask you, though, about 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 Jim Jones. Most people have heard about Jim Jones, and he may be the most notorious cult leader, probably in the twentieth century, in some ways, because most of us may never forget the Newsweek cover, because I don't forget it, the Newsweek cover that came out, where it was essentially. Uh, bodies lying on top of each other of folks that have poisoned themselves drinking the Kool-Aid and and that and that whole that whole uh, you know connotation drink the Kool-Aid came out of the Jim Jones disaster and clearly you know you've studied cults and he was he was as I said one of the leading cult leaders of all time without trying to sensationalize this what if any similarities do you see between 
the the standard cult or the or the, or the classic cult and and this cult of scientism what what similarities do you see if any well for one thing immediately what comes to mind is the is the scientists many of those they won't admit to it but the leading characteristic is the desire to be the great authority and to not yield to any other authority. That's interesting. And uh, in fact, Jones went, went an extra step, and he, he said that he was Jesus Christ reincarnated. So that's how he established his authority. And, and then he, he, he went into that further by a lot of trickery and stuff, and then vulnerable minds fell for all that. But the scientists themselves, the difference, of course, is that scientists generally are are not psychopathic, right. and Jones was. Right. That's not to say that some scientists aren't sociopathic, because latest studies show that one in 30 people are sociopaths. So some scientists uh, are on the verge of that, but the main thing is the drive, which stems from pride and not wanting to yield to anything beyond the self that that allows them to go beyond that and 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 grab all the authority and and as I said, be king of the mountain. Cult cults involve uh, narcissistic and charismatic people mainly. That's what makes them uh, successful: is the charisma and the narcissism combined. And uh, and, and uh, when that happens, it it just it just manifestly increases and uh, and grows, well, and thing, people uh, more and more get taken with it. Yeah. Well, one thing that comes across to me that that I've I've spent a lot of time writing about and reading about is is the, is, is the simple fact that many people who follow cults do not question the opinions of the cult leaders, and and. You know, you you said that a cult is inability to see the obvious. I think that that is a, a very you know direct, uh, sort of clear, dramatic way to put it. But but what what really puzzles me is that science itself is based upon open-mindedness and about questioning <laughs> theories until the right one remains standing, and the whole issue about falsification. And, and science being self-critical. But then when you move to many of these leading scientists, with Richard Dawkins being an example, and Lawrence Krauss is another example, Steven Weinberg, these guys will not accept any assault on their ideas. They will belittle anybody that questions the progress of materialistic science. And so, and so it's really, I mean, it's really a contradiction and it maybe is even hypocritical, where at the same time science is supposed to be the open-minded search for truth. Many of these leading scientists do not accept people questioning, and they are controlling, they're controlling the textbook writing and the media appearances, and they because they're viewed as the authorities. And so, so even though you know we could overly dramatize this, because I, because in no way am I saying and would I say that the leading scientists are like Jim Jones, as you point out, he was he was a crazy man. But but I have a funny feeling that his followers did not question his thinking, that they viewed him as you know the word of God or or whatever, and and it's that kind of mentality that I'm afraid that many of us because of the authority of modern science and and, and, yes. it, and it really it really is and and so I go back to the to the very simple uh, principle that question something before you sell your soul question it because if it's right it's going to stand up to questioning right if you if, if, if anyone was to go on Richard Dawkins website they would get an enormous insight as to what's really going on. Because Dawkins himself, and indeed a lot of his followers, who, by the way, I think are, are simply uh, fo following him in a cultic way. So I see Richard Dawkins, in a sense, as the leader of a, scient of a scientism cult. 
and but but what I was going to say is that if you look at his website, you will see that they that they fall into uh, the frailties of uh, of of uh, of logic uh, contradictions. That is, they go to the fallacy of uh, ad hominem attacks. Right. That's totally unscientific. For example, Dawkins often puts people like like uh, William Dembski, for example. They 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 try to make out that they're that they're uh, six day creationists, and that's simply not true. So why does Dawkins continue to do that? He does that because he doesn't have the courage to deal with what they're really saying, and so therefore he wants to take authority away from them and give authority to himself because he does have the uh, power of his major scientific status as being one of the leading biologists in the world. Right. And so therefore, he doesn't, if he were honest with himself, he would not go to the ad hominem attack on these people. And that's the giveaway. But the thing is, the public at large doesn't see these frailties. And that's that's kind of sad. Right. Well, well, well Richard Dawkins, uh, you know, as you point out in your book, and you know, I've read many of his books, he's an excellent writer, he definitely has a very keen mind, but he 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 doesn't um, he doesn't think through the weaknesses in his own theory in his own thinking and and one of the things that um, really hit me was in his newest book, The Magic of Reality. It sounded like it was going to be a good book, but frankly, it was just sort of rehash of some of his other books. But leaving that aside, he he admits in that book that he does not understand quantum physics, and he does not understand cosmology. It's too complicated for him. To me, that was, that was, that was really telling, because quantum theory is the, is the feature of science the, that is showing the connection between mind and matter. And if you don't, if you don't factor that into your approach to the world, then you're going to be uh, going down the wrong path. It's very simple. There, there are people such as Bruce Lipton, last week's guest, and um, and and Robin Wells, who was a guest earlier uh, this year, who wrote the book The Human Hologram, who have factored in quantum theory into their thinking, and are coming up with much more credible, advanced theories about what we're doing on this planet. And so, and so, it's this is this is so important because it's you know we can't be bedazzled by the shining neon lights and the and the and the poetic prose of 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 these writers. You really have to look at what they're saying and examine, as you do, David, uh, what they're saying with some logic behind it. Yeah. For example, uh, <clears throat> I believe. You know, we all have got enormous problems and things that are, can be traced back to our child and all that. And uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, I don't know if the public knows fully, but he 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 uh, he was abused sexually in in his uh, school years, and and then he goes on to to say he essentially says that that was no big deal at all, and yet he makes the extreme leap of saying that he believes that people who raise their children in the church, in the Christian church, are abusing those children far more than he was abused sexually. Yeah. Now, that's an outrageous statement, and it, and it must be traced to his inability to be honest with himself and, uh, and also to, uh, the inability to overcome to really overcome his pride and see himself as just another human who is graced with a majestic brain, but who has no simple advantage to other truths. Yeah, but don't you think some of that is just is just just to be controversial? I mean that uh, that is. I mean he he does that a lot. He's not the only one to make grandiose statements to attract media attention. I mean some of it, some uh, of it is. I, I mean that that is such a that uh, that is such a bizarre sort of statement to make. Uh, I wouldn't leave it just at that, though. Okay. I think it reveals an intense anger. Yeah. I think he is a very angry man. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Let's. Let's. I. I want to say something about about Bertrand Russell because 
you, in your book earlier on the show, you mentioned Russell's sort of dichotomy, uh, which is that either all religions are false or only one is true. And and I I I don't accept that. And and I'll tell you. And let me tell you why I don't accept that. Because it is possible, I think, that all are true in some way. And I think that that's because and that's and that I think is 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 what is is the only way we could bring religions together. Because if you take the position only one is true, it 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 means that all the other folks, the Buddhists, the Hindus. Uh, the Taos, all these folks are just off, you know, they went off the deep end somewhere. And, and I think that, that the, the, the problem we have is that we don't have enough people looking for how, how the religions can be reconciled. And so I, I don't accept, I just want you to know that, I, and this is where I said I, 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 don't, I do part company with some of, of your ideas. I don't accept that, and Richard Russell, as you probably know, was a hardcore materialist. Uh, he, he, he was probably worse than any of these people we're, we've been talking about in terms of believing that only matter is real. So he was an atheist materialist. And, and, and so I, I tend to think that there is truth in every religion. It's a matter, it, but, but, there, but many of them are incomplete. They're yeah. incomplete. I, uh, I want to be clear. I do not disagree with what you just said. There are two, uh, various religions uh, uh, put forth truths, but what my concern is the source of that truth. That doesn't mean that other religions don't. Uh, are, they'd have to be insane not to be aware of some of the truths that come from the source of truth, the one Almighty, powerful source of truth. That has has to be from one source. But there have been many, many attempts to propose what that source is. All Russell is saying, and, and, and it's not just his view, he's proved it mathematically. I, and by the way, what you're describing you're, you're, is, is simply can be described as syncretism. And, and, and that's a valid r- religious belief nowadays, and it's one that you have. Where it's, it, and, and it is true to the extent where you say that all of them have some truth. That's true. That, but syncretism is simply saying, but ultimately it, it leaves who as ultimate authority. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I went uh, much of my life feeling the same way uh, you did, and I was into all sorts of bizarre Eastern stuff. And so the key thing is not that that these various religions don't have some truth, because how could they not? How could people not avoid some of these absolute truths? And so it's really, uh, and what Russell was talking about, is is the religion that claims to be devoted to the, that one ultimate source of truth. That's all I'm saying. So obviously, many other religions have some of these truths. For example, you know, thou shalt not kill, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, adultery and all that. And many of these religions, of course. But, but what is the source of that truth? And, uh, you know, there was an amazing movie. I don't know if you'd, <laughs> you'd care to see it, but it's called The Time Machine. And uh, it, it really makes a powerful case for uh, that point, that I mean, you, there, there can only be one source of truth. Well, well, and uh, it's worth looking at. Well, first of all, I, I think that religions, I, I, I look at uh, religions the same way I look at scientific theories. Okay, now, I, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer and I'm a, I'm a, with, a, with a philosophy degree. And so I, I think that religions need to be understood in the context of history. And so I part company and disagree with folks such as Dawkins and Weinberg and all these guys who, who essentially write religion out of human history because, uh, because I think that, that religions show the evolution of spirit. See, I, this is sort of what Hegel, the German philosopher um, Hegel, would say, 
that yeah. that that we don't that we we tend to because we view only evolution in a materialistic sense or in a Darwinian sense, we forget that spirit itself evolves. Now that so I would so and I don't expect you to agree with me or anybody to agree with me for that matter. But the fact yeah, that Hegel was the, of course talking about the dialectic, right, the dialectical right. materialism, right, right. And, he and, believed, and even on the spiritual level, right, it right, applied. Right, right, and so and so if you look at if you look at spirit evolving and whether you take a Hegelian approach or just look at it through. Um, uh, Suri Aurobindo, uh, there's a bunch of people who have a similar thoughts, such as Alfred Lord Whitehead, then then you start seeing a way to reconcile the world's religions. And I'm and I'm not here to pontificate upon upon this. All I'm saying is that is that it's much more healthy and much more scientific, I think, to look at religions in the course of human history and to try to understand them in the same way that scientists are trying to understand where Aristotle and Newton and Copernicus and Kepler and, and, and Einstein and Max Planck, all these guys fit into the derivation of scientific theory. And if we, if we spend our time with an open mind, we're going to be a lot better off than if we simply uh, write, write these religions you know, off the ledger because they don't conform to the scientific paradigm. And at the same time, I think it's healthy for religion to say, hey, you know, maybe maybe I could have a deeper understanding of this, of, of, of the Bible and, and, and the Koran and any of these other books, if, if I try to understand how these things happen in the course of human history. So that's, that's sort of what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I'm more of a I'm, a, I'm sort of a new spiritualist, which we don't have time to get into my own personal thoughts, although it is in my... <clears throat> It is in my own book, by the way, The Heaven at the End of Science. I, I, I get into all this stuff. But, but the point being that we need to have an open mind, both with regard to science and religion. That's what, this, that's what we try to do here. And I don't expect you to agree with me. But, but, yeah. but, that, but that, sort of, that, I think, is the most healthy standpoint because I'm not bifurcating my, my, my mind. And this is by other part where I would I would part company with you. I'm not bifurcating. I'm I'm using the same mindset for religion and science and then I'm trying to join them in the end. Okay? Now I agree with you that bifurcation is a good first step, but I think ultimately we only live in one world. Well, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, I, I do think that it could it could be said that uh, you know the the biblical truth you know, in First Corinthians, for example, uh, Paul talks about uh, God God making the wisdom of this world foolishness. That's a very strange and bizarre thing to say, but that goes to the point of these many of these scientists who are very bright and very wise in one sense, but they ultimately. Uh, are saying very foolish things, uh, and so I still think that it's 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 really left to us to think about what could be the one source of truth, and if there is one source of truth, did that source of truth choose to reveal itself at any time in history in some way to to re, uh, to establish some authority? And uh, and at that point, as as you say, you and I uh, part ways on that. But I still see that uh, y you uh, you in a sense would have to say, just as I say, uh, that I'm uh, uh, per se religious about my choice of the religion. But you 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 have a re a religious viewpoint toward your view, which is open-mindedness and and in a in a real sense syncretistic. And so uh, that's, that's a tough one. I don't think we would ever, in in a short amount of time, you know, breach that uh, chasm between us. But I I'm, I do understand what you're saying. In fact, uh, I, I lived and breathed that until I, I waded into the Jones thing, because when I went up against that much terror and evil, uh, at the end of it when I failed, even after telling the media 
that Congressman Ryan would not come out of South America alive. And when I realized I failed and that the whole thing came to that catastrophe, I then went into two days of ultimate, exasperated crying out for truth. And I cried out to the God that I, that I didn't realize fully who he was. And after that two days of crying out, an enormous, trans, actually a, a conversion of a sense took place. And I realized that, uh, that there, is, there is only one, one revelation that God made in history. And when I accepted that, I, I gained enormous insight. I went to all my liberal buddies and everything, and I said, you know, uh, what, 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 if, what if we were all way off base here? And what if, what if it, is, it is true that we have to accept one religion? And which one is? And, and, and as I saw and reviewed then Christianity, it paved the way to Western civilization. And indeed, it paved the way for the tremendous advances in science. Newton and, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and many of those others were, were Christians. And they, they, they saw no conflict. But uh, anyway, that, that's my point. I, I, still, am, I still have to, uh, to, to confine myself to the point that there can be only one source of truth. And then the question is, did that source of truth reveal itself at any time in history? And if you think about that, uh, then, you, then you narrow it down, you narrow it down, and you come to the point that, uh, yes, uh, I believe that uh, uh, Jesus Christ was the manifestation of the truth. And by the way, Paul said an amazing thing. He said, Jesus Christ is everything. Now, that seemed a little bit grandiose to people, I think. But all he's saying there is that the Almighty God is glorified only by revealing himself in a special way that satisfies his own glory. That is, we cannot see and understand and know all of God. Otherwise, we'd be gods, right? Therefore, God is, is glorified when we accept the limited amount of information he wants us to know about himself. And that limited, lim, limited view of him is Jesus Christ, well, see, and that is available to us. Well, okay, okay, but let me let me just stop you there because you're right. I mean, we're not going to be able to bridge our, our our differences with regard to the, uh, the 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 role of Jesus Christ in human history. But but and and it's and, and I and I do respect uh, your 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 position. I it, uh, to me, it's a it's a very rich topic. And by the way, not off limits for this show. We just don't have time right now. But I want to I want to say that this is this is one of my problems here. And maybe you could respond to this. One of my problems is that is that uh, Paul, who wrote, you know, the letters of Paul in the in the in the New Testament, what gives him the authority of God? Wasn't he just another guy writing writing these letters? Uh, I, I don't understand how how he has such authority i mean it's it's sort of a i i don't understand that i mean it's and and so i and i and, and i was raised i was raised you know catholic and so it's not as if i haven't um delved into this and i have read the bible a number of times but i don't understand why he i mean talk about authority what what he he would say is he is not the authority but christ is the authority but he and the disciples personally were confronted by the ultimate authority that is here on earth, okay. Jesus Christ. And therefore, he, uh, he makes it very clear and points always toward Jesus Christ and not, not toward himself. But he points to himself at times as being an example of one who tries to follow Jesus Christ. Therefore, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. But he is not claiming to be the ultimate authority. He's yeah. claiming that Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. Yeah, okay. Well maybe maybe at some point we could we could another discussion this, but but the last yeah. 
but but the last thing I like for you to address was 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 something that I I I found um, very very interesting in your book, which um, related to the future, and and then the and the and a revolution. I think you called it a revolution or a change in a change. Oh, in, I call it Graf's paradox. Yeah, I mean, I guess, are we on the point of right, no return? Right, right, right. At some point, you believe that there is going to be uh, a change in, in, in the scientific paradigm? Oh, yes. Yes. I, and, I, and I say, uh, it, it, as I say in the book, I'm very defensive of scientists, and I even challenge uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the scientists that are into uh, uh, intelligent design to hold off a while because uh, it's going to cause confusion, and it is causing confusion in science now. But I think we're only about uh, a decade or so off from the paradigm itself being changed. And that has to do with these questions we're dealing with now. Sooner or later, scientists are going to realize, and many of them have already, that, uh, that there is a mind behind the universe. That's driving, and that that is uh, it, it, that is the creative and the sustaining uh, system, a mind. And when they recognize that, they're going to have to admit that that, it, by definition, is supernatural. And of course, that will break the paradigm. And I'm saying that that's uh, a decade and a half off. And when that happens, it's going to be a major, major. Uh, upset in the area of science. But I am saying that at that point, science will then take on a, a whole new uh, challenge, and that is uh, then pursuing what is this mind about? What is the nature of it? And all that. That's, that's going to be the setup uh, that happens when the paradigm is broken, because it will no longer be a purely naturalistic science. It will have to be supernaturalistic included. Yeah. I think there's no way around that. Well, I wanna, I, I wanted to ask you that question because because we took uh, a different route on this show that we've taken on other shows, but we wound up at the same spot, the same end point that we wound up at on other shows, and that is that there is a new scientific paradigm. On the horizon, and it's and it's it's interesting, David, because about one out of two or three guests, I ask the same question, and they say the same thing, although they're coming from different fields of thought. Many of these people are, say, new consciousness movement, new spirituality, new agers. Some of them are scientists, and everybody is is starting to realize that maybe the story of materialism is coming to an end, and and one. One uh, sort of indication I will give right now that is front and center and that's critically important, and that if you read many of the the, the modern um, scientific journals, and that, and that would be Scientific American, New Scientist, Nature Magazine, that the current sort of general purpose explanatory mechanism for for the fine tuning in the universe, and that would include the DNA molecule. And would include dark energy, uh, the uh, all, all all the all the uh, constants and forces of nature. The current ex explanatory mechanism is the multiverse, which which means that scientists right now are, are resorting to an infinite number of other universes out there that can never be proven to to explain. If, if that's the right word, I, uh, or to not explain, the fine-tuning in our current universe. And so, to me, that's putting a lot of pressure on, material, on materialism right now because most people have the view that the multiverse is really, uh, I, I would say, more speculative than, than God. <laughs> we know yeah. that God exists. Yeah. We, I guess we we're at the end God now. I, I don't want to forget to, 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 to have the listeners... Uh, tune into my website, which is truthsleuth.net. Yes, yes, and and uh, and as I and as I said earlier, I, I, w I wanted to give that opportunity. His uh, David 
David Kahn's book is called, his newest book is called The Specific Density of Scientists and Their Secret Fears. He gets into a lot of good examples of why scientists often act with a cult mentality. And I think that it's, it's good for all of us to start looking at some of these theories, start balancing it off against, against whether it's intelligent design, whether it's a new spirituality, a new consciousness movement, and see that one of them is not completely right, That's, that scientists are missing part of the picture. When, when they are failing to in, integrate into that world things that we know to be true, such as, such as the paranormal, such as the supernatural, and such as the vision, the idea of God in our mind. Um, I'd like to thank you for your time, David. It's been an invigorating discussion. And I think that you've done good in, in, in exposing some of the cult-like behavior of scientists while at the same time honoring many of their achievements. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 